Hey everyone, on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we take a little bit of a twist and we're covering something that we don't normally speak too much about and we speak with Paul Davis and Paul is an online safety, privacy and social media educator that we came across at one of our kids' schools during a, a parent um, presentation one evening and he really opened our eyes to a number of things. Uh, Tom and I both have a an IT background so we have an understanding of technology and even with that, some of the things that he shared with us and who the targets are of some of the things that are happening online and what our kids are exposed to and what, what he's seen and the types of things he's dealing with is has really been eye-opening to us. And it's something we want to share. We feel like it's an important message, especially for parents, um, especially younger kids. I mean, it applies to everyone, but now's the time that we can really help them. And we, we're seeing some of the challenges with technology and some of the, the, the media and ad platforms out there are really geared towards not really helpful trends and habits in our children and that's why we thought it'd be important to have Paul on to share this type of stuff for people that really haven't been exposed to it or if you're, you're struggling with it now and you want ideas of how to help your kids deal with technology and handle technology and what they should be looking at and maybe not and some tips for that type of stuff so that's all the type of stuff we cover so it's a little bit of a different but we thought again it was an important conversation so we hope you enjoy it. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, there we go. I had to double check make sure it was actually working. All right. So, um... So yeah, we, we were talking about kids and raising them and how the, the challenges. And I was saying that, uh, you know, when I was in, when I was in school, my, um, my, uh, so the, the, the beginning of school grades nine, 10, maybe 11, I was on the honor roll. Didn't really do much. I just kind right. of showed up. I didn't have to do any homework. It just right. kind of worked and it got, so it was easy. So then, you know, naturally as a kid, I was like, well then I wonder if I even have to show up. So I kind of stopped showing up to school and that's where things kind of went off the rails. And the only reason I went to post-secondary, like to college at all, is I happened to be a, arrive on time one morning and they said, oh, college applications are due today. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I should submit one of those. So I went down and I filled one out, submitted it. I needed a check at that time. I had to go home, get someone to drive me home at lunch to get go get a, pick, a check from home and to pay the fee. And right. that's the only reason I was even there. There was never any of this this grand plan to 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 go to school or you know post secondary or figure that stuff out. And um, and I know you were just sharing what your daughters and you know they're doing, taking different paths and doing different stuff as well. So, um, but yeah, so. Look, for everyone, anyone kind of listening, the reason that we kind of touch base is I saw you speak at my daughter's school. Mm -hmm. um, you spoke to the kids in the morning, spoke to some parents uh, in the evening. Right. Um, and man, you've just, you know, like, I have an IT background. We were, my brother and I were both in IT before. So I understand the internet world, but you even opened my eyes to some stuff and it was just kind of a little bit, uh, a little bit scary. And I guess now and you, what you do working with, how do you, how do you classify? I guess it's just online safety for kids. It's, I know it's social media, but it's really everything, right? Well, the, the presentations are broken up. So the grade four, five, six presentations called online safety encompasses things at their grade level. Grade seven to grade 12 is online safety and social media education, but it encompasses a lot more because the younger kids are not allowed to be on social media. So the message is get off social media. You're not 13. Those uh, grade seven are almost there. Grade eights to grade 12s are there. So 
the message is about with the older kids about defining how technology works and then guiding them based on that. Because I stated this to parents. You know kids don't like being told what to do. The key to my success in speaking to grade sevens to grade 12 is you don't threaten them. You don't scare them. You don't intimidate them. You give them data with your knowledge base. My knowledge base is IT and cyber. And when you can connect with them at their level, at how they're speaking, they are more receptive to taking your guidance because you now connected with them versus someone coming in and saying no, 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 and leaving. Look, I respect all levels of law enforcement, but coming in sometimes with a badge and saying no, 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 they'll tune you out. But if you come in with a knowledge base and then guide them, that's the key to my success. But you said, so there was a couple of things that went through my head. And I just want to go back to something before sure. I forget, because you said you're not like a, the younger kids aren't on social media, but I'm starting to see now younger and younger kids be on social media. And I'll give you an example. My daughter, my youngest daughter is in grade four. One of her friends just got Snapchat and Instagram. I don't know if TikTok as well, mm-hmm. Instagram for sure. And I, you know, and my wife and I are looking at each other, you know, she, she came to us and asked now she's like, Oh, well this person has it. Can I have it too? And we're looking at each other and we're like, well, no, like this isn't like, no, there's no need for you to have this yet. And she's good. She's fine with it now. But I'm like, man, this means that as she sees more friends have it, she's going to keep coming home and asking for it more and more. Right. But it seems so young. So they're not allowed to have it. I know they have it. Kids as young as grade three have it. But my message with grade four, five and sixes, and I do speak to grade threes if the school brings men, is to try and rewire your thinking about, look, a poor choice was made in getting these apps. I need to refocus you because the number one way kids get bullied, offended, threatened, insulted online is through social media they're not to be on. So my goal is to try and move them away from having it and clearly tell them you're not 13. We have to respect those rules and there are reasons why. And then at the end of my presentation, I refocus them. I talk about coding, blogging, app development, robotics, podcasting. I want them to do stuff that will develop a positive digital footprint while not harming themselves. And when you open up a website, positive. Podcasting, positive. Educational apps, positive. Coding, incredibly positive. And when you focus a child on that, which is time-consuming, and you can take away that distraction, which is what social media is, you've done a good job. So my goal is to remove themselves from the platforms that contribute to hurt, pain, cyberbullying, sexism, racism, all the stuff that they will be subjected to, and get them refocused on the good stuff. And if they can leave there inspired with that, I've done my job. But the, the message is, I know some of you are on it. We need to reshift your thinking. That's a bad, like that's a battle. You, you face, I'd imagine, an uphill battle because you're basically battling all the bad habits the parents have as well because those parents, those habits get trickled down to the kids mm-hmm. and you're in a class of 30 or you're speaking to multiple grades, so you're in front of a couple hundred kids mm-hmm. And out of the couple hundred, you you know, the 80, 90% of the parents have the habits, are showing the kids the opposite habits that you're trying to, right. you're trying to instill in them. Well, that's why I have to come back and speak to parents tonight. So yeah. when I come back to speak to parents, which you've been there to hear, is for me to open up their eyes and say, look, some of you, let's just be honest, you made a poor choice. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. You know the terms of service were 13. You can't say I didn't know. You actually did. But most parents fell victim to the guilt complex. Your child told you, I'll be the only one without it. Expect your daughter to tell you that at some point. I'm the only one without it. I hear that regularly. Everyone does this. Exactly. When it comes to a phone, I'm the only one without it. No, you're not. That guilt complex 
has trickled down into, all right, I think I'll let them have it because I don't want them to feel isolated or by themselves or excluded. That's why kids are falling through the cracks. I teach kids, and what I ask parents to do is teach your kids to be a leader, stop being a follower. We're going to have to make some hard choices. If you make the choices now, it's for the benefit of your child. I do not walk into a school looking to take away anybody's fun. I'm here to help them. I'm here to protect them. But you're going to have to follow these guidelines. And I tell parents, and you heard me say this, if today you heard all the data telling you why your 10-year-old should not be on Snapchat, and you say, you know what? He made all the sense in the world. I'm still letting them on there. When something happens, parents can only reflect back on the choice they made after leaving a presentation where they got factual data as to why their child should not be on there, along with the terms of service, along with all the other information as to how kids are impacted by this one particular platform. And the parents said, you know what? I'll still let it happen. Be honest with each other. Let's be honest with each other. Who exactly do you want to blame at this point? Yeah. You had the knowledge. You know, the one example I give to the kids, the expert today is saying no social media. I say I listen to experts. One expert I listen to is the weather person. When the weather person says, hey, there's a massive snowstorm coming tonight. It's going to be very dangerous. You better stay at home. I look at my daughters, my wife. I said, let's make some popcorn. Let's find a movie. We're staying in. We're, going, we're not going anywhere tonight. We listen. Some people, they have to go to the mall. They have to go to a restaurant. They get into an accident. They put other people at risk to go and help them out. You had a choice to listen. You thought you knew better. i give another example. My doctor, she's an amazing human being. She has studied for 12, 13, 14, 15 years to tell me, Paul, if you consume this lifestyle, your body is going to shut down. I look at my do- doctor and say, I will listen. Right? That yeah, yeah. They went to school. They will. T- I'm not going to say, yeah, I know better. Other people, and this is a personal story, my father said he knew better. Didn't listen to his doctor. His life was taken because he made a poor choice in not listening to a doctor. This is life. So you can either listen, process, and make good choices. It's so tough because when there's not immediate consequences, it's tough. And I'd imagine even when you're younger, because I know, you know, youth and testosterone when I was young, it, it made me make some interesting choices too. And if, if there wasn't immediate consequences, like when I was doing something silly, I didn't fall and break my ankle. Right. It was like, it was great. It was funny. It didn't even matter. What do these people know? They're not talking to me. So, you know, you know what they're talking about, sorry, they don't know what they're talking about. So it just, it's, it's that perception that's tough. But I think what hit home for me is, um, well, one of the things that night when you were speaking there, I guess a couple days before there had just been a human trafficking and I fair, I keep up decently with, you know, the, the local news kind of just to get an idea of what's going on. So usually I would see headlines like that and I didn't see that, but it was the day, I think it was that day, actually, there was just a human trafficking ring or some arrest made about human trafficking locally. And I don't know if it was Oakville or um, north of the city someplace, but it was around here. And that kind of blew my mind. And I think that's the type of stuff that I guess you're seeing some of these kids. I guess those are the stories you're hearing as you're traveling, speaking to people, because you're hearing from people that kids get caught up in that through their social media and stuff. Like that's really disturbing to me. That's a component of there's human trafficking, there's online luring, there's sextortion. These are three huge things impacting teenagers. And the sextortion, is that adults doing it to other kids or kids? it's kids doing it to other kids? No, it's criminal organizations that reside oh around gosh, the world yeah. and they pose as certain types of individuals to target the kids. Victimization, 
12 to 19 years of age boys, 91%. That's according to cybertip.ca. Before the pandemic, if my stats are correct, is that cybertip.ca was reporting 10 cases per month. At the peak, I remember being on their website seeing 70 cases per week. Uh, But a month ago, it was down to 50 cases per week. The pandemic did some serious damage to our boys. They were seeking sexual acceptance. They went online. They saw an individual that appeared to be of the opposite sex. They engaged in conversation. They sent a picture. The boy sent a picture back. Within minutes, they're being extorted. If you don't pay me X amount of dollars, I will share this with everyone you know. And they know everyone your kid knows. Because they know them because they see them on the social media platform. They see their friends and followers and stuff like that. So they go and befriend the same people. Like exactly. That. So it, the, the two platforms that uh, work brilliantly for the sextortionists are Instagram and Snapchat. So with Instagram, if I follow you, I can see your followers, right? Snapchat, you can't. So I can copy, oh, sorry, I can take screenshots of all your followers. I can write down their names. And then I lure you to go to Snapchat because kids believe that images don't delete. I'm sorry, that images delete after three, five, seven, ten seconds. In my presentations of grade seven to 12, I break down the Snapchat lies. I love my Snapchat presentation, the grade seven to 12, because I rewired their thinking on how this product works. But for those who are not educated, they'll go to Snapchat. They think the image is gone after three, five, seven, ten seconds. Then when the other individual happens to capture the picture or record it, now they're saying, okay, if you don't pay me X amount of dollars, I'll share this with everyone you know. They're going to go back to Instagram and say, well, I noticed you connect to your mom. Uh, I noticed that you said you went to this school. A Google search will tell you who the principal of the school is. When they say, oh, I'll contact this principal and share the photo, kids are believe- they're, they're, they're petrified. Why? Because they've got all this personal data, and that's the trigger point. So now they want to pay. At the beginning of the pandemic, sextortionists were demanding about $5,000 US by Bitcoin. Kids don't know what Bitcoin is, and if they dabbled in, in crypto, they don't, even, they don't have that money. Sure, yeah. Now, sextortionists are down to $100 iTunes gift cards. So they've taken a different strategy. So kids have $100 in their desk at home. They'll go, get a gift card, pay and think they're done. Nope. Now they've been transferred over to a different screen where the sextortionists are trying to lure 1000 over here, but when they get their handful over here, they keep refocusing and coming back over and over and over again. And the problem is that these kids will now give $100, $100, and then they're tapped out. At that point, they usually go to a parent and ask for help. So of all the parents I've helped out, 90% are mothers calling behalf of their boys, 12 to 16 years of age. The good news in this very horrible situation is that there seems to be a good relationship between boys and moms. I'm not a psychologist. I can't explain why. I'm glad it exists. The better news is that those mothers had the ability to pick up the phone and say, I need your help. Imagine a boy going up to his mother and saying, look, I performed an indecent act. Now I'm being asked for money. Can't be an easy conversation. I'm just glad that they're having the conversation. The mother picking up the phone and saying, we need guidance. So my messaging has always been, If this happens, and I have a firm goal when I educate students, do not take a picture of your body and transmit it. But when I give them that guidance, it's based on data. Not coming in with a badge saying, don't do it, they don't listen. My message works because I define how technology Mm -hmm. works. Yeah, give them an understanding of it. So when I say don't, 
They're like, all right, I get it. Having said that, if it's occurred, you do not respond. You do not pay. You cease communication. But the one thing that no one communicates about is that you do not antagonize because these are criminal organizations. So it's not personal. And parents need to know sextortion is not personal. That's the thing that get, that blows me away when, when you say the criminal organizations. And I think that evening you shared that, I guess, either you read somewhere, you know that there's like some of them that, you know, that are in these, I guess, data centers, call center type, type environments. There's quotas for them to hit for how much, I guess, they're collecting. Yeah. Like that is like I'm almost speechless, you know, to, to, to do that. I know everyone's kind of, you know, in desperate situations, I guess, but to do that to kids is like just a sick, sick thing to even, even do. Like there's, you know, the robocalls we all get on our cell phones are one thing, you know, this is a whole other animal. There's no values and morals with these individuals. Like that, we just have to throw that out there. Um, and in one case, I remember a police officer saying that some of these people get beaten if they don't make X amount of dollars every day. I'm not, I don't feel sorry for them. I'm just saying that that's why they're so aggressive yeah. in their tactics. Now, do they follow up with the threats of sharing the pictures? In 99% of the cases that I've dealt with, not at all. Oh, really? Yeah, so the threat is I will share it. But it works really well because if I tell you I know all your contacts and I have a picture of yeah. you, it's working. But if you know how these people work, their objective is to make money. They don't have time to start Photoshopping and sending and DMing. and that take, If they're doing that, they're not making money. They have to focus on the lowest hanging fruit where they can go after and grab the weakest, most vulnerable individual to try and make that money. That is their ultimate goal. So if people listen to the guidance, which is don't take a photo, we're going down a good path. But if you have, follow the guidance, which is you do not respond, you do not pay, you cease communication, but don't make this personal. Don't antagonize saying, yeah, you don't know. They will make it personal. Now, you're really going to hurt yourself. So after you do that, you file a police report, which takes about 15 minutes. And then in 15 minutes, the police will tell you, don't do it. And I'm sorry, there's nothing we can assist you with because these organizations reside around the world where we have no legal jurisdiction. Having said that, that is not the end. When parents call me up, there's about an additional 15 minutes of what they can do after the fact to make them sleep better at night. And there's a lot more you can do. It just takes a bunch of work, which we won't have time to get yeah. into. But there is more after filing the police report. The point is, we don't want it to happen. But if it does, I don't want people to overreact. Because in cases, and I explained this to you at the parent presentation, some kids have ended their lives because of it. These are tragic stories. Yeah. Two weeks ago in British Columbia, 12-year-old boy, Snapchat, sextortion, took his life. Oh, really? I didn't, yeah. Brutal. So you see this all, it's just regular. It is gut-wrenching. It's so funny that, funny is the wrong word to use. I, I, I'm surprised to hear, and I'd imagine a lot of people would, that, that it's the, the, the demographic that's hit by it most is, the, is, is males of that age. Because you would naturally think, and I don't know why I would naturally think this, but for some reason in my head, I would just automatically think that it would be geared toward more towards females. Females are being <clears throat> targeted. Okay, so 9% of victimization is females. In fact, one of my fake accounts, who is allegedly a female, is being targeted right now by a sextortionist. They're actually taking a different approach. And this sextortionist is actually posing as a female, trying to lure me in, in a same-sex type situation. So asking for pictures. Yes. It's actually fascinating because it goes off script with what I've read because I read the manual on sextortion, the deep web. It goes completely off script. Now maybe they're, they're trying to find 
more revenue? I don't know. But girls traditionally are being extorted for extra pictures, not for money. They're more victims of sexting where they've taken a picture and now the person is sharing it amongst other people and that girl has been victimized. So, But what, when, what's the benefit of them sharing that, like just sharing that picture? Like they've been victimized, but aren't they looking for money from them? No, because in sexting, it's really just a boy saying, hey, I want a nude. The girl sends it and then they become a trophy and it's being shared with everyone. So they become victimized, not monetarily wise, but because they share that picture. Really? That's yeah. how they're just doing it for that, for like fun and games. It's, uh, uh, this is so sad to say, but for many, in many cases, it's a challenge. I just read it, and I'll be posting this on my Facebook page soon. The video I saw basically stated, with all the pornography available, boys still go after girls and ask them for inappropriate images. It's, there's so much available for free. And someone responded, who wants the free stuff? You want the stuff that no one else has. And I'm reading the comments, I'm thinking, yes, that's part of the psyche because it's a challenge. And this is very sad to say. And then the individual uh, commented, they'll use them like trading cards that are hard to find. Oh my gosh. And it's the saddest thing. I'm a father of two girls. It's the saddest thing to read. So there's a challenge with that. And it's different um, in terms of, let's just throw it out there. Guys are more likely to share a picture with someone they've never even met and they presume to be a female. The psyche of a girl yeah, is way different. I would, I would believe that. Yeah, just thinking, thinking back, <laughs> if this stuff existed, where my, my like myself and my friends when we were younger, God knows the stupid stuff that I, <laughs> that I do with it. Especially early on, now before there was people communicating like yourself and trying to right. and saying, "Hey, here's the problems with all this stuff." It was the Wild West. Well, I mean, even when email was, um, you know, became a thing, and I had my first Hotmail account. The type of stuff that I was getting forwarded around, remember people would just get the, the weirdest, craziest, you know, or nastiest type of things, and they would just forward it to their whole email list. And I'm like, you know, and after, at first when you get it, you're like, oh yeah, this is crazy, I can't believe this. And then after a while, you're like, okay, like, you know, it, it, the, the people that were still doing it after a while, you're like, okay, man, like, enough's enough. Like, well, I don't need to see any more of this. Can you please stop saying these things, you know? And eventually that died down, right? Well, I guess in that medium, it died down, but. I think the biggest difference between our generation and these kids is that, let's just throw it out there. We all do stupid things. Yeah. Our generation <clears throat> has none of it documented. Mm -hmm. And the one message I do like to convey, not to kids, but usually, usually to adults, we're all sexual beings. We all have sexual urges. We did it from a human perspective, and there was a lot more respect, I think, when we did it versus now, because it's all readily available, there's lesser respect for the opposite sex or same sex. Mm -hmm when it comes to that topic, because it's just everywhere. The stuff that we did in our teens, in our early 20s, if it was documented, uh, some of us would be in a lot of trouble. We didn't have the internet that now documents it. So now the kids who do it, it's being documented. And it doesn't go away. I have that saying with students, the internet never forgets. Yeah. And because it doesn't forget, it's not very forgiving. You see, the internet has no emotions. It doesn't care that someone is hurt, upset, crying, angry. It's always going to remind that person. We know what you did, and we can remind you when you're least expecting. So if parents now are, are, are aware of this type of stuff, I mean, it, it, you'd think that every all parents are aware of this type of stuff to, to some degree. Then, you know, why is this still happening? Because is it 
just to your point that they're aware of it. They think it's not going to happen to their child. They don't want to, you know, look for alternative things for them to do because, you know, the, you know, you see countless kids and, you know, that are just always on their phones. And I, we've had, you know, a talk with my daughter just, excuse me, recently about the amount of time that she's been on a phone because at school now, what I'm seeing through her screen time, I'm like, hey, you can't be using your phone this much at school. Like the amount of time she's even on the phone, like this is not good to the point where she's coming home. She's like, oh, she's more tired. She's like, I don't know, I just feel anxious. I'm like, hey, I'll, you know, I, I got to share something with you. That's because of the amount of time. And I've, I've just, this is just in the last week. I'm like, see how your screen time now, because apparently she's done her work and she's got free time. So they're letting them use their phones and she's, and she's open with me about it, which I, I which I appreciate. Cause I don't want her to start hiding it. Cause she can, right? Well, I have screen time on, so I can kind of see what's going on anyways. But, you know, they'll be playing Roblox or something at school. And I'm like, what the heck is going on over there? But I, but I tried to explain to her, like, hey, the, you know, the studies show that that is the anxiety and stuff is, is going to come from this. So as your screen time has ramped up recently, just in the last couple of weeks, because you've been using it at school more for all this stuff, and you're starting to feel this over the last couple of weeks, there's a correlation there that you need to be mindful of it and, and see. And I'm just wondering, like, if, if people know about this, like, why does... You know, I guess from the parents you've talked to and stuff, like, why does it keep going on? Why aren't people kind of trying to take a harder stand with this type of stuff? We've got a few factors at play. Number one, we have the peer pressure of kids wanting what everybody else has. So parents are putting phones in their kids' hands at a younger and younger age. That's causing peer pressure with the parents who were firm about no phones, and all of a sudden they start cracking because mm. they feel their child is isolated. And we go back to teaching our kids to be leaders versus followers. Then we have, all right, I've educated these kids and these parents. They're going to leave and make better decisions. That's true. Otherwise, you know, you can't speak as often as I do if the message didn't work. And then we got this new group of kids coming in. They're two, three, four years younger with new parents who had no interest in the presentation because they didn't think it applied to their kids. But now when their kids are in the thick of it, they take an interest, they come in. And now in the position was in the position where we have to modify, we have to rain back certain things. We have to add some new rules in place. That's hard, but I keep telling parents, it ain't easy. You have to start making these choices. And many parents, I've got a massive following on Facebook of loyal parents. And you know, when I say massive, <clears throat> I'm gonna put this in context. You might not think 24,000 followers a lot, I have more engagements of people than have 350,000 followers. Yeah, that's what matters. Exactly, yeah. because my parents, I don't, I've never spent a penny on Facebook. Those are parents who've seen me, follow, share. It's amazing, the loyalty is awesome. And they share my message because they're all like-minded and they try and spread that message. So there is a community of parents saying, yes, this was what we support. But the ones who haven't seen it or the ones who haven't impacted yet, they will get there, but I need to get to them. My objective is hopefully to get to them before they need help. So although I start off with grade fours, and most parents say, well, if um, my kid's in grade one, I don't have to come to this parent presentation. No, you do. The parents who've come into my presentation, who have kids in SK, JK, one, two, they have benefit tremendously because now they have the foundation yeah, the where their kid won't fall that trap. So to your point is, why is it happening? Because we have lesser of the parents who are moving into that situation and taking an interest until, of course, when do you go to a doctor? You go to a doctor when you're healthy? No, you go when you need help, right? No, no, we have to go and say, look, um, I want some preventative guidance in terms of making sure that I've got a healthy lifestyle. Are you gonna make that investment? I think you should. This is exactly that scenario. Make the investment of time so you won't need help down the road. 
and our kids will be safer. We need more of that thinking versus we think it's okay. Everybody else has it. Oh, we need help now. What do we do? Oh, let's go to this presentation. And all of a sudden realize, oh, yeah, we made a poor choice. And then you're, you're an advocate for, um, and, and I, you know, I went home and told my wife this. You're saying that, you know, kids should just never be using the electronic devices alone, basically, in their bedrooms, in privacy, because you just have no idea what's going on. But if they're using it in the living room, on the couch, and, you know, they're sitting on the couch, you can't see what's going on on, this, on that thing anyway. So what's the... You know, how much is the difference? I guess it's it's for these types of pictures and that type of thing. Because otherwise, because I was thinking about the other day when I was watching my daughter on the couch because she wasn't in her room using it. And um, and and uh, and I'm looking I'm like, well, how much difference does it make with her being here versus in the room? Because I don't see what she's doing right now unless I go around and start, you know, peeking over her shoulder. It's a big psychological difference because in your bedroom behind closed doors. Yeah. You make choices because, you know, no one's watching. Your daughter on the couch engaging knows by the glance of an eye, dad's there, mom's there. It just psychologically helps them make, make good choices because you're there and you can glance at any time, which we need more of. But in the bedroom, it takes a whole different twist when it comes to isolation. No one knows I'm around. Doors closed. They're downstairs. I can hear them coming up. I can tab out. I Listen, where do a lot of kids view pornography? in their bedrooms by themselves with the door closed, tabbing in, tabbing out, and parents coming in, and they don't see what their kids are doing. Would they do it in front of their parents in the living room? Probably not. Why? They know there'll be consequences, and they're not that bold. Yeah. Right? So it's grounding them and saying, and the other reason is, besides the safety aspect of no tech in the bedroom, a bedroom should be used and looked at as a place of just rest and relaxation. Um, Not associated with a screen, a phone, a tablet, a television. It should just be the place of relaxation. Um, the example when parents say, well, what about televisions in the bedroom? We have one big TV in our home. In the basement, it's a family TV. Anybody can watch it. And I say this to parents. If I come back from a, a week trip and I haven't seen my daughters in six, seven days, I walk into the home, my daughters come up to me, give me a hug and say, hey, dad, how you doing? Great. Okay. And all of a sudden disappear into the bedrooms to watch TV. My wife's like, all right, I'll see you later. Go down. Why did I come home? <laughs> I want to be there with family, not disappear into your own private world. No, no. So we had that strategy for um, forever. There's never been a television in our kids' bedroom. So uh, family unity and safety. That's why I promote. So there's three pillars for online safety. Number one, no tech in the bedroom. Zero technology in the bedroom. Number two, smartphones, middle to end of grade eight. Great. Number three. Eight. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one for, for some people, I would imagine, because so many other kids have it sooner, right? So, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. So, number three first, and then... Yeah, number three, no social media until you are 13 years of age. That's grade eight as well, typically, yeah. right? Yeah. Those three things, if implemented, changes the course of your child's online uh, experience dramatically. But that takes work, because you're going to be guilted into giving them a phone, because allegedly everybody else has one. You're going to be all guilted into giving them Snapchat because that's how kids talk. It's time to be parents and not their friends.
So we did, um, you know, there was there was an instance last year, um, I'm sharing all our family's dirty laundry, so hopefully maybe none of my parents, my, my, my daughter's pa- friend's parents are listening, but uh, there was an instance at school um, where she used her phone where she uh, wasn't, when she wasn't supposed to. So the teacher came to us and she said, you know, they, they reached out, they said, hey, you know what, we asked them not to use the phone, she was using it for the next week, we're going to ask her to put it in the office and check in the office. I'm like, no, you won't, because she's just not going to have one, and that be for two weeks right so i'm like don't worry and they and it's funny because they said um they're like oh thanks you know it's nice to hear you know hear that because i guess they get a pushback sometimes from parents about that type of thing so we doubled it up and we said don't worry she's not checking it she's not she's removing it and then we went one step further because i mean I'm, i was a kid i know what my daughter's gonna do she's gonna log into her snapchat account on someone else's device so then we went and so she was really upset about the phone and i think it was the next day where i'm like hey you know what we got to change her snapchat password so we changed her snapchat password and i'm telling you she was upset about the phone but changing the snapchat password so she couldn't access the account my gosh it was it was a nuclear meltdown where to the point where i was like you know my wife and i were like wow you're this you this like the, the, these are the symptoms of an addict. Like it was, it was really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like I was blown away and she just, she lost it. And, you know, and, and, and we've told other parents when we did that, we're like, Hey, she broke the rules. She lost that too. And, uh, the reaction we get is like, Oh wow. Like you did that. Like it was like, they were in disbelief that we did that. And now that I know the reaction, I can understand where they were coming from because it was, <laughs> it was an almost unbelievable reaction. But, uh, but yes, I guess that's the approach we've tried to take, but we challenge, we, we, we struggle with it sometimes because it's like, do we keep taking the same approach if, if she's not respecting the technology or do we have to use a different approach? And I just, I just, I don't know. You know, it's just, a, it's a, it's sometimes I feel like I'm getting beaten into submission, I guess is what I'm saying. What you did is parenting 101. And so when parents respond to you and they say, oh, you really did that? They're afraid to. That's the problem. We're afraid to be parents and impose consequence mm-hmm. of action. I'm all for consequence of action. I'm all for being firm. I'm all for being respected with my rules. If we step up, and when I say we, parents, our kids will be better off. You see, your daughter learned a hard lesson in that I don't have a communication tool with my friends. That's okay. Your daughter learned that when I break a rule, there's a hard consequence, and it's not going to be forgiven with a timeout. You took her communication protocol away. She'll feel it, and she'll say, you know what, Uh, they're pretty strict. I'm going to listen next time. Next time, if it does happen, probably won't, make it a month. She will feel the pain, and she'll say, you know what, I get it. They're not playing around. They care about me, and this is the consequence of action. So you got to do it. Yeah, it did change things, because she did now, like, you know, she knew before, because we did it at a shorter time frame, but the, 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 the... the, the breaking of the rules wasn't as severe and it did show that we were serious and it, it did change that perception a bit. What about tracking things? So we, I have it set up on, on the phone so that we, you know, she can't clear her browser history mm-hmm. and, you know, I know there's screen time and I can't see what she's doing on Snapchat. So I know there's all sorts of stuff and that's a whole other topic because, um, that blew me away and I, I'm almost switching gears because I think it's such an important topic is you mentioned the, how much, um, uh, 
the, like the sexploitation and how much sexual content they get served on these social media platforms. And it kind of really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that I did. I just didn't realize to what level I, that went because I guess because I don't, so I, I'm off all social media. I found social media for me. If I got off, like if I was on Instagram for a bit, I would get off and I'd be grumpy for no real reason. I was kind of grumpier. Interesting. So I just, yeah, I just, I just, I just was, I'm like, I don't know why I'm not happy when I get off. I don't know if I'm, for whatever it was, I'm just like, it doesn't serve me, so I'm off it. I use Twitter for information purposes. I, I like Twitter, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go on that. But, um, but so I, I never engaged with these posts about any sexual things or something, so I didn't see the algorithms work. But when you said, when you shared how much sexual content that even kids are getting because of your test accounts, it kind of blew my mind. Sex sells. You, uh, an age-old, it's it sells. So, if you look at the various social media platforms, they have feeds. Now, Snapchat never had a feed. It has a feed now. When you look at some of the components of the feed, there's always a sexual connection. Whether it's in the wording, whether it's in the graphic, which obviously intrigues a viewer to click on it. They go down a rabbit hole. With TikTok, a top hypersexualization platform. That was the one. That's right. Okay. Because right. sex sells. Now, the example I gave you was I opened up five TikTok accounts after I read that study about um, TikTok showing <clears throat> content to kids 13 years of age on drug addiction and sexual fetishes. And the study was valid, but I took it one step further and opened up five more accounts on five different devices and I opened up as 13 years of age. And my goal was to manipulate the algorithm on all different accounts, all 13 years of age. I saw nothing to do with drug addiction, and I stated that. Sexualization came in through all those accounts. One more aggressively than the other, depending on how I interacted with that platform. Because if I'm showing it that I'm interested in certain types of content, the algorithm kicks in that, all right, let's get you more, because it's going to keep you on our platform long. Remember, eyes equals dollars. The more eyes a platform has, the more dollars they make. Their goal is to keep you there by enticing you looking at the next video and the next video. On one of my accounts, it's more foodie based because I'm a foodie. So I interact more with that. Sexualized content slips in, but I try and get over it really quickly to try and focus more on the food, but it still attempts to do it. There's a whole economy on TikTok, which is individuals posting sexualized content to take the viewer out of TikTok onto an external platform where they sell sexual services, one being OnlyFans. So someone could pose as a, um, an aerobics instructor, post provocative videos. The followers are not other people interested in aerobics. They're primarily men looking at the content and saying, I think based on how this person's posting, they have something else. And the individual will say in their bio, yes, I have one. Doesn't even tell you where to go. Yeah. Yes, I have one. And the mindsets are all, all right, they got an OnlyFans. Let's look it up and let's go and pay five, six, ten, fifteen dollars a month to find the sexual content. So that doesn't break the privacy policy or the rules of TikTok because they're showing types of videos that you may not like, your your wife may not be happy that your child's being exposed to it, but it doesn't violate privacy policy or terms of service. So that's allowed. That goes into the psyche of sexualization. And then depending on who's watching it, where it leads them to, it's all allowed. And why TikTok won't make a difference? Listen, if you're a 13-year-old in China, do you think you're getting that? 
No, you're getting educational videos. Oh. That's on a 60, I've been talking about that for two years, 60 minutes did a piece on that last December. You'll get educational videos for 30 minutes and then they shut you off. In North America, you can be 13 year old, you can be on there 24 seven and you'll get content that is just not age appropriate. Why? Well, just understand the reasoning of how the algorithm works and it goes way deeper. And, it's and all even, take, even taking posts off, you said. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But even taking posts off, I know on some of your accounts you were, you were flagging posts and then they just said, oh, sorry, it doesn't do anything. And, you know, they just kind of left it, right? 2,000 plus reports I've made to TikTok that have not been removed. They're not graphic, but they're so sexual in nature. The wording used, the algo speak that was used. No, didn't violate term service. The ones that have been removed are the ones where I saw graph. So the example I showed is the um, the lady who her her breast exposed for half a second, and it was quick. I had to look at it twice, saying, "All right, I did see that." I reported, "Yes, TikTok got rid of it in 30 minutes." Okay, that's because there was something clearly visible, but anything that is suggestive, almost there. No, it's allowed to stay, and that's how these individuals get away with posting this content because when sex sells. Why would you want to clean it up to the best of your ability? Mm. You have an audience, right? And look, I, I know people will disagree unless you live it. And you can have someone from TikTok saying, you know what? That's completely inaccurate. I've got data. I'm not a PR person for an organization saying, no, I've got the data. They can sell you on how great the platform is. And just for the record, it can be a wonderful platform when you're bored out of your mind. What I put... TikTok on my smartphone? Absolutely not. It's the most invasive app in the world. Would I put it on a device that has no personal data? Yes, that's how I do use it to, for homework and all the multiple accounts I have. I can have some really interesting time on TikTok. Food, restaurants, um, things of interest. I have to still get through to the stuff that I'm not happy with to get to the stuff that I'm happy with. And I'm not gonna take away anybody's fun as an adult Wait until your child is at least 15 or 16 before you put them on that platform. And if you as an adult are interested in TikTok, don't put it on your $1,000 phone. Find a side device that has no personal data, put TikTok on there, or you can go to the web, type in tiktok.com, watch your videos on the web. That's much safer than having the app. Hmm. So I, I approach it from two ways, the content and the privacy. So I'm not here TikTok bashing, but I don't want that in the hands of a kid. Sure. And if you're an adult, make better choices. So if you um, are a business owner and you have personal emails and you've got banking, I would not have TikTok on that device. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, like I said, I try to re remove myself from all, all that stuff. I don't know why. It just doesn't. My brain does not like it when I consume that content, and I just look back because I, I go down a rabbit hole too, and I get sucked in, and I've spent 20 minutes looking at stuff, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing, right? How did you get into this stuff? Like, how did like what brought you to this point to be doing this? Because it's, I guess it's rare. Like, I I don't really know anyone that's kind of gone down this path specifically talking about this type of stuff with kids. It, I just don't see it regularly. Maybe it's just the circles I'm in. But how like where what's your background that you do this type of thing? Uh, this year it's been official. I'm now 33 and a half years in information technology and cyber. 12 and a half years ago at my daughter's school, the principal asked me why kids get in trouble using technology. The conversation was very honest. I said, because parents have given their kids too much too soon and they're unaware of what their kids do with it online. So we agreed that I'll talk to the kids and put an internet safety presentation together. I'll be honest, I was incredibly intimidated. 
I used to speak to CEOs and yeah. CFOs, you know, boring people, right? Yeah. You know, you look at their responses, it's like drawing blood. And then I looked at these kids and I thought, how are they going to respond to me? Because, you know, I'm very direct, got a deep voice, tall stature, all this. And I left and I, these kids were giving me high fives and props. It was at my daughter's school, so it was pretty cool. My daughter's <laughs> dad was there and he's talking about this stuff and he's a cyber guy. I went back to work. I got an email from another principal, an email, a phone call, an email. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going uh, to take the next two years and go and speak to kids. This is fun. They're engaging with me. They're loving this. And I said, now go back to just doing what I was doing. We get to the two-year point. I looked at my calendar. I said, um, I kind of lied. It's not going to be two years. It's going to be a bit more. But then I said, let's wait until my youngest daughter graduates high school. I'll take on a different career path. I actually want to get into uh, cyber with some law enforcement and do some detective work. And she looked at me. She said, you know, our daughter's graduating next year. I looked at your calendar. You're not stopping, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. So I don't know when this will end. Uh, I don't ever see it ending. I'm not a person who actually has a retirement age in mind. If my body and my mind is rock solid, if my body keeps up with him, I'll just continue doing it. And all because of a conversation with my daughter's principal, who I loved and respect tremendously, an amazing human being. Because of that fateful conversation, I was able to take my knowledge, create something, deliver it, feel good, get good feedback, and then in what I do, word of mouth is gold. Yeah, I guess between the schools, the educators, I'll yeah. speak, yeah. I get emails. My friend saw you at her school. Can you come in? I get a principal saying, you are referenced by this principal from this school board, and they're not even the same school board. It's all word of mouth. And so what has contributed to my success is that when you deliver a product not based on fear, don't threaten, connect with them. I'm very serious. I have rules in my presentation. I expect you to listen. Um, I want you to focus. I'm being serious. At the end, you can ask questions. Deliver a product showing you care while having boundaries and kids respond to boundaries. I have 12 years of data on that. Empower them. What do you have, mean? What do you mean boundaries? Like in, in what regard? Oh, I like I, you don't you don't go too deep into certain things with with their oh no or something in terms of structure. So when they come in, I actually structure a gym as to how they will sit because I I know the mentality of a kid. They'll come into a gym. They want the corner, the back. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're coming to the front. You're going to be within this area. Your teachers will be sitting off to the side, and you're going to be focused. Oh, by the way, if you're going to be playing with your friend's hair and giggling, this is not the presentation for you. And they look and they're and they respect it. How do the grade fours respond to that versus the grade eights? Grade or four, five, eyes? sixes are the best. Like yeah, they yeah. just literally sit there. And actually, I've got a new strategy. I have four, five, sixes take notes. It has gone over beyond my wildest imagination how successful it is. Oh, cool. Kids, teachers look at each other and they're like, what do you just do? Because I'll say, write. And kids' heads will drop and they're writing notes. Parents will say, Paul, my kid came home with two pages worth of notes. I said, you're welcome. And they love sharing it. I thought, this is great. Why did I do this before? They, I want to give them something to go home with. Now, grade 7s to 12s, you're coming in. You're focused. You're listening. No phones in my presentation, grade 7, 8. Do not bring AirPods. Do not bring a phone. Do, if you have an Apple Watch, you're flipping it inwards. It's, there's going to be no distraction. So when I say structure and boundaries... You're going to focus because I have a goal. When I leave in 60 minutes, I want you to be empowered. I'm not the presenter that comes in. You can do what you want. You can lie on your side. You can take a nap. No way, no how. 
I've been asked to come in to educate you and to help you. I have an hour to do it. We're going to make it happen. High school, a little bit different. They're allowed their phones. It's hard to not, but many high schools will actually have their kids come in with no phones. But there's still there's going to be structure in the high school level. Teachers are involved. They're not in the corner, in a back, huddling, um, talking to each other. They're engaged in the presentation because I have a net goal, which is within an hour, I have to get this much information across to you. And if you listen and you follow those simple boundaries I put in place, huh. you'll do well. I saw an article yesterday, I think yesterday, a couple of days, that the Toronto District School Board is, is debating whether or not to allow phones in the classroom again. And based on what I just recently saw with my, my kids' usage in the school, I was like, yeah, like, I mean, why, why are they using these? And I understand we're in this world of technology, so the kids have to understand use technology, but you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that that it's being vastly abused. And I would say, I would imagine, I don't have any data, but I, I, would, I would think that on every single school and every single school board across the country, that's the case. You know, I, I don't I don't see it. So when I'm, I've seen this, I'm like this, it's like it was almost positioned like it was controversial. I'm like, controversial? I mean, they're there to learn. Like, just shut the damn thing off. I don't know. Eight years ago, schools introduced bring your own device to school. Eight years ago, I was the only person walking into schools saying smartphones are distractions. You haven't thought this through. What do I know? I'm just a sour guy. What was the logic behind it? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, so many school boards um, all subscribe to the it's 21st century education. It's the future. If our kids don't have it, they're going to fail. We need to teach them. These are all theories. Eight years ago, I said distractions. What are teachers saying today? Put your phone away, put yeah, your phone yeah. away, put your AirPods away, put your phones away. You're distracting. Uh, teachers' privacies are being violated. They're being TikToked in the classroom. They're being recorded. Kids are texting their friends. They're going to the bathroom. They're vaping. They're making TikToks. It's, there's zero data to tell you how a smartphone has positively impacted yeah. education in the elementary school level. Uh, with kids who have medical conditions and they have uh, a smartphone, I completely support it. Otherwise, in school, my message has always been, stop trying to replace that amazing human being that stands before your child, before your child called an educator. They need the human interaction piece. A teacher will identify behavioral concerns, educational concerns, and they will be able to adapt to them. Smartphones are distractions. Kids are not understanding how to make eye contact, read facial expressions, body, you know, the skills required for success in life. If you can get your child out of school, elementary school, with the gift of education, human interaction, making eye contact, uh, learning how to interact with each other, they will be set for success. And in high school, they can learn the discipline of using it when they have to. Get it out of elementary school. I've been saying it forever. And now, as I see you know, these newspaper articles that they're reconsidering, I one day will probably say, I told you so. I'm not. I hope so. I don't have faith that you will. <laughs> I hope I hope you can, but I just don't. I don't well, know why. I, I'll disagree with you there because although boards may not revert, schools are. I'll give you an example. September, 12 schools in Calgary. 12 days. I even did Saturday schools. 11 of the 12 schools, one being the high school, that's why they had phones. Grade 10, in Calgary, it's grade uh, 10, 11, 12. The other 11 schools, away for the day. Half of them because of Paul Davis. That's cool. And I went in, not demanding it, I just gave data. And the principals who've gone away for the day 
have shared with me. So this is data that no board can give you because they don't have how it's benefited. Average marks up, drama down, bullying down. I've got data. That's not just from those schools, but from every other school. And this is the first year since, since coming back from COVID. So they're doing it every day, all day. So no phones in the classroom. Okay, so a bit of variation. One school in Calgary uh, will allow their kids to take their phones out of their lockers and go off property at lunch. They, they said, we can't stop them. Okay. All right, cool. While they're at school, away for the day. So there's some variations on that, but at the very least, they're gone. And that was starting this year or last year? Uh, the previous September, some schools started. Uh, this year, three of those schools of the 11 started this year. Okay. They went, done, we're over. It's the, the whole theory, the whole project hasn't come to fruition. Let's go back to basics, and it's working out very well. But what I've noticed this year, unlike any previous year, when I speak to elementary school kids, I will tell the principal, here are the prerequisites for my presentation. They're like, no problem. Before it was, oh, well, I don't know if we can do it. Um, they, no, no, now they've already implemented a way for the day. So principals who run the school as a business say, you know what, here's the policy. And it will be a way for the day. Some will say, if your teacher allows it for educational instruction, great. But then, right away, put it away. So it's not distracting them afterwards. There's no playtime. You don't get to listen to music. You don't get to play Minecraft. You are at school to learn. Was there a pushback from some parents? Because I know some parents are like, well, you know, what if I need to send them a message? And I was just like, I don't know. I survived my whole school life and I, I was kind of happy that my, I wasn't talking to my parents all day like I was okay with it you know so, but th there must have been some pushback from some parents though every school had pushback but it was a very small percentage yeah it was oh yeah, yeah. it was the majority in fact a lot of principals will say the parents will say oh thank you you see the parents are afraid to say no but when the school says no yeah. they're actually oh thank you that's great <laughs> really yeah you're the reason they had to put the policy in yeah. place to say no because you couldn't say no at home and now you're thankful that the school did it. It's actually really interesting in terms of the dynamics of how it's all worked out. But there are a few holdouts which will say, no, this is unfair. Okay, there's a phone in the office. You need your kid, send them to the office, take up the message. We can connect with your kid. Yeah, and it almost never happens, I'm exactly. sure, yeah. Listen, you and I, we made it successfully without devices. Yeah, I, I wasn't dying to talk to my parents. I mean, I thought them at night. I wasn't like, I need to talk to my parents right now, right? Hey, what about, um, and that's something I wanted to ask you about the parents, because I know you said, like, you know, different schools have different attendance rates for the parents. And is it like, you know, have you noticed anything between different areas? Like, is Toronto just kind of this big city and people are just too busy, they don't care, versus smaller areas or other areas of the country? Like, do you see any trends like that? I have 12 years of data. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> You're I a data can, guy. The IT, the IT side of this coming out is all about the data, which yeah. I can respect. I kind of look at things that way as well. I think it's so important. Yeah. I will not. I will never share this publicly, but I can tell you the five most poorly attended cities, communities in Canada. But Oakville's number one. Nope. Oh, okay. No, absolutely not. Uh, Oakville doesn't have data as Oakville. I have data from three different segments of Oakville. Oh, oh, wow. I can tell you one segment will be amazing. I'll go to another school, and you know what I'll tell the principal? Can you please invite other schools? And they're like, why? I said, I've got data. And then they'll look at me, because they could be a new principal at the school, and say, yeah. oh, you're right. And then there'll be another segment, which could be completely different. So within a city, and Toronto is much, much different, I will know every week where I can see the spike. Like last night, I was in Nobleton, and I knew Nobleton would bring me out a good audience. And 
It was a good audience. Uh, Woodbridge, just south of Nobleton. I could have one night amazing and one night, you know, you shrug your shoulders. But my whole goal is I will never accept the school who will say, come and speak to our parents only. No, no. I need to come and speak to your kids before I speak to your parents because I have it. To me, it's not about accepting an engagement from a school. There's enough of them. To me, it's about impacting. I'm at a point in my career where when I leave a school that day, my goal is I got all the kids and I got a good parent audience. But if I'm let down in the evening, I got all the kids. So I'm always rewarded that I got two to three, four or 500 kids for those parents who came out bonus like your school but every kid in grade four to grade eight at your school got the message Mm -hmm. there's the bonus now if you get a great parent statistically so i can say this because it's not my best parent audiences calgary alberta hands down any idea why why just absolutely no data on that whatsoever i just know that i'll go there and um the audiences will be great night after night after night. It's like a second home because I just love going because they're so, and I don't know what it is. And uh, Springbank, Alberta, which is um, 20 minutes west of Calgary, hands down the biggest audience I've had in Canada. That's cool. They spent a year marketing it. The parent community promoted it time and time again, word of mouth. They made the effort. And so there's also another issue, which is how do we market that Paul Davis is coming? Do we blast an email? That doesn't work. You want to, because you know parents don't even read emails anymore. You want to make sure not only is there a social media component because parents are on there, you want to come up with an email strategy. You want to come up with something where you get the kids talking to their parents that, look, he's coming to speak to you. He's coming to speak to your parents. You need to have multiple points of engagement. Mm-hmm. Just blasting a email home, you can't expect anyone to come out. So there has to be engagements. And if I'm in a community where I know statistically, based on data, it could be a poor turnout, my uh, prerequisites with the school is, I'll come and speak to your kids, and it's an honor. You are going to partner up with four other schools. You're all going to pitch in together, and we're going to have X amount of parents come from every school, and we're going to have a decent night out. Because, and listen, and there are some schools, and I say this respectfully, they don't get parent audiences out. So when I know that, it could be a new principal at the school. I'll say, uh, look, here's the data from you know the past 12 years. Please just, say, just, please just have me come in and speak to your kids. That would mean the world to me. But uh, to have me come in in the evening, uh, probably not worth, and I don't, I don't want you spending the money. I want you to invest in your kids. Mm-hmm. And I wish your parents would be there, but statistically, they don't show up. Yeah. Huh. What what about and, and last thing because I know we're kind of getting short on time now, but I just I want to ask you one last thing just about tracking, um, you know, on these devices when you're able to track the URLs and that type of thing. And I, I, if I had to guess your response, so there's pushback from the kids because you know I, I can see on, on my kids' phones, I, they can't clear the, their browsing history and they can't change a lot of settings, so I can see anywhere they've been. So if they're you know doing diff- things they shouldn't be doing, um, not perfectly. I mean the YouTube app, if they have that, I can't always track all the history, you know, but you mm-hmm. can see some. But um, but I guess you know I'm, I'm just wondering about the pushback that you get from kids and when to kind of open that up to them, um, in your opinion. And if I had to guess correctly. 
I would think that you're you're thinking about the pushback is like, well, yeah, that's parenting. Deal with the negative consequences. Like you just that's you being a parent. That's good. And to open it up to them is probably when they, you know, when you, I guess probably 13 might be a little bit too soon because that's when they can first start using it. But sometime in high school, I guess what 15, 16 is when you're just like, all right, you kind of hope that you've educated them well to that point and kind of release them on their own into the wild, wild web. So the answer to this is obviously a personal parenting response, and it's not based on data. Oh, I was uh, expecting data. You no, let me down now. <laughs> no, not in, not in this one. You mean uh, you don't tell people how to parent? That's a risky job. No, I, I, <laughs> I do um, based on data, but the question you just asked me is more of a personal one. Yeah. So I can't tell you what the age is because there's no data on that. Yeah. I tell parents, when my daughter's turned 16, I've instilled so many rules at a young age between my wife and I, our values, our morals, respect, that you're now going to make good choices mm-hmm. because I believe we've done our, where I have not given up parenting even though my daughters are much older. I'm still a father. I still have rules. I'm still their dad at the end of the day. I'm not their friend. But up until 16, there were some firm guidelines. At 16, I don't want to read your text. Can I? I can see anything that happens in my home. Do I want to? No. I've done enough to make you, oh, sorry, to put you down the path of making really, really good choices. And you know what are good choices because you've been educated. Uh, you had the rules in place. Um, you had lots of conver- open conversations with mom and I. At 16 was the time I said, still my phone. I can go through it. I chose not to. Mm-hmm. I lessened it at 15. Uh, 14 was when, I, no, it was still pretty much full on. 15, wavering, and then 16, you guys run your own. Yeah, very cool. I, I really respect what you're doing. I, I, I think it's, you. I, I, you know, there's just, there's there, there, I think there needs to be more open talk about this, about the problems, and, and just amongst parents with each other. Like, I think it's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling dealing with my my kid and and their electronics and stuff what are you guys doing can you you know can you do this and not just because i find that no one's talking about it there's no they're like yeah, i don't know they just do this and i'm like why, why is no one talking about this so i, I personally uh, you know so i guess it's just my opinion but i really think what you're doing is really cool and i think there needs to be more conversation around this and um i don't know i had my eyes open to a number of different things and just some of the stuff you shared today and, and some of the stuff you shared before so i i appreciate it so so thank you for for what you're doing from one one parent to another, um, you know, for anyone else that, where do they check you? Is it, is it Facebook to go to check you out? Is it well, your website? Like I, the one I yeah. found. So first I want to say, I love hearing that and my pleasure. It's when I wake up every day and I know I'm going to have an impact. This is why I do what I do. I want to leave parents with two messages. Number one, make an investment to be properly educated on what your kids are interested in. These presentations. Number two, you may perceive that what I've said um, could be a form of, well, it's parenting, parenting, like it's all our fault. Look, we make choices in life and we learn from people to make better choices. I am not the best dad in the world, but I've listened to people who've helped me become a better person. I've listened. I realized I made some choices which were probably not good. I correct them. And so the parents listening gained the knowledge swallow the pill and say, all right, I've learned I can be better for the sake of my kid. There's no shame in that. I've admitted many times. If we ignore it, that's where they're going to get hurt. So um, learn, 
correct and say, you know what? We're going to do better moving forward. And there's no shame in that. Uh, my Facebook page, uh, Paul Davis Tips, P-A-U-L-D-A-V-I-S-T-I-P-S. It's where my knowledge base is. Come and gather data. And the reason <clears throat> I still focus on Facebook, uh, believe it or not, the majority of humanity is still on Facebook, but it's more of an engaging platform where I can post something, we can have dialogue, and most of my followers are very respectful. Um, Instagram is really about posting pictures. Twitter, I, like you, I love, although it's the most toxic platform. It's yeah, really, it really is. You got you, you to throttle and use lists, and you, you got to really kind of work that algorithm in your yeah, favor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, that's just really bragging about where I am, but my knowledge base is... Uh, is my uh, is my Facebook page, but yeah, my so website is socialnetworkingsafety.net. So socialnetworkingsafety.net and the Facebook page, because that's that's I guess where a lot of things and ideas get shared. Because if you're posting something, and there's a conversation back and forth. Yeah. Sometimes, at least for me, that's where I'm picking up some ideas, not necessarily from what, what you've shared, but if you go through some of the comments, you're like, oh, that's an interesting perspective from listening to other people and that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're all over the country, so thanks for thanks for stopping. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, so we hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, like we said, it's a little bit of a different topic. Hopefully it opened your eyes to some things, even though all those things may not be of the most positive light. We think it's important to have an honest look and understanding of what's really happening with our kids and technology. And if we decide to take some steps to maybe alleviate certain things or instill certain habits or whatever the case may be, and however you, we, we all choose to parent differently, but. Um, you know, I think more of those challenges challenges are going to come up and it's something we got to face head on. So hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, your life, your terms.